Victoria, you know, one of the things I really have grown to just appreciate about uh, these conversations that we're having is that they are covering a pretty wide, uh, just a pretty wide gamut of, of just topics, which means sometimes you're going to, you're going to run into topics that are just, they're, they're, they're thick. And I know you would agree with me that today is a really essential, important topic that is, it just has to be talked about in our society. It's definitely not something we can avoid. If we said part of the the heart of this podcast is to talk to experts and people who know what's really going on in the world and are covering current events, then like you said, this topic can't be avoided, um, nor should we want to avoid it, even if it makes us uncomfortable at first to talk about it. Um, it needs to be talked about. Well, there you go. You're you're on this the the tension point. Almost the ah, it's almost a a, a no win scenario that's that sometimes people buy into that. Well, you can't talk about it. But if you don't talk about it, then things aren't going to be addressed, and they're not going to be. Uh, we can't really talk about hope if we don't talk about it. And so, if you haven't figured it out, we're today we'll be um, we'll be talking with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, um, who is a former emergency room physician, really cool story of how he comes to his own faith. Uh, but eventually he steps out of his position there as the head of the medical department at that hospital and begins to write about faith and health. And his latest book that we are finding very timely is Hope Always. How to be a force for life in a culture of suicide, and so as soon as we even say the word suicide, I, I can understand that. Ooh, too too heavy. I'm out, and and it might be for some people that they opt out. But I love the fact that Doctor Sleeth calls us into these conversations and calls us into really being a force for 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 good, a force for life in the middle of this struggle. Um, I, I found there were like two or three really like profoundly simple, blunt things that he said that brought such great hope. It was like, I think at one point I asked him to repeat it <laughs> because it was just like, oh, okay, that's good to know. You get a really good mix on this of he brings in his medical expertise and background and will pretty bluntly explain why there's an uptick going on and the trends and gives just some interesting data points that some of them are really sobering. I'd never heard before, but it's not, this will not be that whole conversation. It will not be read like a medical textbook and it will be really um, just information overload. There's so many stories and anecdotes that he's experienced personally um, or he's heard from um, people close to him, but it's really this whole idea of being a force for life. It's how do, how do Christians enter into this conversation, whether it's on an organizational level or a personal level? And how can we, how can we be the source of hope? If we, if we have a, a faith in Jesus and we believe that there, that hope is the anchor for our soul, 
how do we as Christians become the first person or the first kind of people that someone who's struggling turns to rather than turning to other things in the world? Yeah, because, and he makes this point again and again, because you're not alone. You're not the only one who has thought this. You're not the only one struggling with this. You are not alone. And so you obviously see things in the show notes um, and you will hear, for instance, more than once um, the the 1-800 number that I would encourage anyone who is having those kinds of thoughts. And I thought he made a great point. Have this number in your phone to share with that friend, that coworker, that family member who is struggling because they do not have to face this alone. So 1-800-273-8255 is 1-800-273-TALK. And this is the suicide hotline where people can begin to step towards help. But I found his words empowering to go, wait, 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 we can step into this with another. And even as we step in, we're not alone. There is help, and we walk together towards help. So uh, the book is aptly named, and um, as as difficult a topic as it is, um, the word hope really does come up quite a bit. So uh, I would encourage you to to take a listen now to our conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. All right, Dr. Sleeth, there's so many things that I want to ask you as we get started, but forgive me beginning with accolades, but when Newsweek calls somebody one of the most influential Christian leaders, um, I, 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 tell us your story of how you got to this place of influence and the platform that you have, and we'll eventually get to, to I think, uh, what is just so important, this, this uh, book of yours entitled Hope Always, but give us a little bit of background of who you are and how you got to this place where you are today. Wow. Uh, <laughs> my life's getting long enough that it's getting harder to compress. <laughs> it. Uh, it, but let me try. Uh, I didn't become a Christian until late in life. And of course, that's a major focus for me now. But uh, when I was 47, a lot of things had gone wrong. Um, my, it kind of started with my wife's brother drowned in front of her and my kids, and she got really depressed. And just a bunch of bad things happened. And uh, I woke up to the fact that evil was real. And uh, because I, I worked in an emergency department, and, and I you see that in the emergency department. And that didn't fit my worldview of if you can't measure it, reproduce it, test it, it's not real. Uh, evil is a spiritual concept. And, and so I, I, and then I knew there was good in the world. Uh, I'd seen it in the emergency department. And I went looking for some way to try to make sense out of life. And I read the Ramayana and I read the Bhagavad Gita and I read the Quran, a number of other books. And there's some wonderful things in those books. Uh, but then one uh, Sunday morning in the emergency department, when there wasn't a patient for me to take care of, I went looking for something to read, and I picked up a Bible, and thought, you know, I've never, I've never read this before. We didn't have one at home. No way I could finish it, uh, you know, in time. So I stole it. 
now the Bible is a big book. Uh, this was a full Bible, and and then I experienced something called prevenient grace. John Wesley talked about this. Uh, for your listeners who aren't familiar, John Wesley was a kind of a, a reformer in the Anglican Church in England at about the time of the Revolutionary War. Uh, and uh, he had a concept called prevenient grace, which is the grace that God extends to people when they don't even know that God exists. And and in this case, my parents named me Matthew. And if they had named me numbers and I had started there in the Bible, we wouldn't be talking. But <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, I started reading in Matthew, and I met Christ. And it just changed everything in my life, uh, uh, changed everything eventually in all of my family. My wife, who was raised as uh, a Jew, and my two children, we all became followers of Christ that just turned our, our world upside down. And I have been living that life for the last 20 years. And and I just pinch myself and say, sometimes is this real that I get to talk about the most beautiful thing in the universe, which is which is Christ all the time. So I'm I'm real happy I get to do what I do now. Oh. Not that I don't miss doing medicine full time. Well, okay, beautiful summary, by the way. Um, but let's go back. You you um, you have left the medical field in in and and you did that. I mean, you were the. I think if I'm right, you were the chief of the hospital medical staff at your hospital. Yes, and I ran the emergency department. Yeah. So then you're feeling, a, I would call it a calling. Yes. Uh, out of that world into a new world. Give us a little bit of, of that transition. Cause this is happening. Like how old are you when this is happening? Uh, I am, let's see, I'm about, uh, 47, 48, right, right okay. in there. And, okay. um, uh, it, what I've compressed is a period of a couple of years, and my whole family wasn't on the same page with me to begin with. Um, now it seems like a much smoother uh, <laughs> period of time than it it was. I, I can promise you that, you know, quitting your job as the head of a family, you know, and uh, moving to a house the size of your garage, and you know, it's this not without some 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 bumps along the way, but th those are mostly forgotten now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, clearly God has you in a space now where from, from my perspective, you are, you have the opportunity to really to call back on much of that training and much of that experience and to fold it into these spiritual conversations. And I would say specifically, when it comes to the topic of your book, Hope Always, um, it, it seems to me like God is reaching back into your expertise from the past and your now expertise. And I'm, I'm sensing a real blend there of, of your worlds and, and your training. And you and you were you're absolutely right in saying there's two two worldviews coming together here uh, in in me. Uh, one is uh, I was trained in in medicine in Western allopathic medicine. I 
believed in the Hippocratic Oath. And the interesting thing is that when, when I became a Christian, what I found was that there was yet another foundation for the, my beliefs that were established in that Hippocratic medicine, if you will. And because we all have a belief system, whether or not it's God or, or something else. And generally, when a, a Christianity comes together with another belief system, and there's a fancy theologic word for that called yeah. syncretism, right? it's bad. <laughs> if, it's bad. But this is one of the instances where it was not. Christianity and medicine, the practice of medicine, have always had a complementary relationship since they met. And if you think about it, um, it, Jesus was once approached by John's disciples. John is in prison, and he wants to know, is, is Jesus the one? You know, it's kind of like out of the matrix. Are you the one? You know, and and um, and Jesus says, go back and tell John. Um, that we've got orthopedics, the lame are walking, we've got ophthalmology, the blind are seeing, we've got ENT, the deaf are hearing, and they're resuscitating people from the dead down in the emergency department. And, and uh, you know, ever since then, there's been this um, complementary uh, relationship between allopathic medicine and Christianity the largest single portion of the New Testament is written by physicians. So, right. So you're right. right. There's two, two streams coming together here. Yeah. And they both hold the view that life is sacred. Well, and the, if, if most of us, if we know anything at all from the Hippocratic Oath, we know the phrase, first do no harm. And it's essentially what I think you're describing here is that you go into it with this mindset. It seems to me like everything you're saying is exactly the opposite of what we are sometimes being told in a general media culture, which is science, medicine are diametrically opposed to a, a, a faith in Jesus, really any faith of, of, of God, but a faith in Jesus. And you're saying really the opposite of that is true. The opposite is true, can be true. Nonetheless, you you can you know go off the rails with this. And there are many, many physicians who would not believe in that oath anymore. Um, but in its best, best case scenario, there should be a resonance between the two. Okay, so we've got this blending of worldviews. God has led you to this point in your life. Um, and at some place, you begin to address w what I think has been called even an epidemic of suicide. When you look at some of the the increasing rates of suicide over what the last thirty years, maybe um, yes, over the last twenty to thirty years, uh, over the last twenty years, every year essentially, it's the suicide rate has gone up about two percent a year. And uh, if you know, you think of that in very concrete terms, if you were to gain two pounds a year over 20, 30 years, you're going to be significantly overweight. And, and so um, it, just to put some numbers around that, during the coming year, 10 million Americans, 10 million are going to wrestle with whether or not to end their lives. Mm. 
it, it, to put it how how common this is, every time you read about a murder, there's two and a half times suicides for every murder. One of the alarms that I wanted to you know sound with this book is that if we did not have modern medicine, which is fortunately able to save so many people who attempt suicide, the majority, but if we did not have that, if we were to go back to 1930s technology, uh, and I, I picked that period of time because that's the Great Depression, and that's the previous high for depressions in the United States, we would be over 100 times what the rate was then. As far as I can tell, in looking at, at all of history, has never been um, to a point where a significant number of its members don't want to live anymore. When we hear something like that, even as listeners, as readers, and I'll even go so far as to say uh, those who might attend a church, when you're in a community of faith and this topic comes up, there's a natural reticence. I would even say, Dr. Sleeth, tell me if I'm wrong, almost a fear for some to even discuss this. Do you run into that sort of uh, reaction when this topic comes up? Yes. I have been. <laughs> given by the Lord, tough topics mm. uh, to discuss and to promote whatever, things that are contraintuitive to society, etc. But this is the first time I've sort of hit a wall. It, it, it's, it's such a difficult concept. It's such a difficult conversation. And I think that that when people get in church, what they just want to hear is the good news. And I understand that. And yet, a committed Christian is about six times less likely to take their life than a age-adjusted, matched atheist. We have some of the answers, and they can't come from anywhere else. And that's one of my uh, prayers for the church, is that we wake up and start discussing it and start sharing those answers. So let, let's let's talk about this now because I think there is there's such an encouraging word in your message and in your book. I mean it's even in the title, but um, for people who might feel ill-equipped to talk about this, let's take just a minute and and describe how we got here. Um, I've, I I know that you have some thoughts about just even the the weight of expectations in this world and what people are, are are living with, can you talk and and begin to give us some ideas about how how we are at the numbers and at the maybe unprecedented levels of struggle that you're describing? How did we get here? We have seen so much change, even in my lifetime, that basic structures of how you live that had been in place for thousand plus years have all been turned upside down. A, a subject I love to discuss is Sabbath. For the last 2,000 years in Western society, we've stopped one day out of the week and focused on something other than ourselves and something other than commerce. That's gone. It's, it's disappeared in my lifetime. Basic structures of society like the family have been fractured. And I think just the pure pace of change 
uh, has has overwhelmed uh, society. I think the people who are thinking about suicide and committing suicide are really what I would call the canary in the coal mine. They're sensing that something is wrong and that we as a society are at a precipice and either we will draw back from that precipice and begin uh, you know, to address why so many people don't want to live or we're going to normalize suicide and say, well, it's just fine. That's just the way society is now. I know when I go to a, a church or a auditorium in a college or something, I say, how many of you have experienced suicide in your family or in a close friend? Always a third to half the hands go up. And uh, if I ask how many of you have heard a sermon on this, I'm lucky to get one hand if there's a thousand people. So all we're hearing is the secular answer to what to do. And Secular thinking, and I use I I lived the majority of my life like this. Um, it says that you are here by accident, and when you die, nothing happens. That is not much of a motivation to get up in the morning. Um, a Christian worldview says that you uh, were made by a loving Creator. That creator has a plan for you. You weren't made just to take up space. And and that at the end of life, one is judged. And these are very, very different worldviews. One leads to life, and the other one leads to death. And that's what we're seeing. Let's just stop for a second and say, what would you say to someone who is experiencing some level of suicidal ideation even now? What would you say to them right now? The first is that you're not alone. And, and, and suicide often is the result of feeling isolated and alone. And so you're, you're not alone. If you address those concerns to the Lord, and if you get help, whether that's secular or Christian or, or, or whatever, there is hope. And, and that this is a uh, it's not God's plan for your life. There's no other way I can put it. One of the things I do in the book is just skim through the Bible. Adam and Eve were told, if you do this particular thing, in that day, you will surely die. And they went and they did that thing. And by the way, Adam and Eve were not alone when they did that. Satan was there and Satan said, if you do this, you're going to be better off. And that's what most people who are taking their own lives believe, that some that they will be better off if they do it. And every time Satan shows up in Scripture, he's trying to get somebody to take their own life. That's what he's trying to do with Job. Even when Satan interacts with Jesus, one of the ploys is to try to get Jesus to jump off a high tower. I believe that this is a, a spiritual battle that's been going on as long as there have been humans, and that we have to look to the spiritual realm in order to fully understand it and in order to combat it. Jesus condenses everything in John 10.10, and he says, the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you'd have life. We humans are the, the, the only creatures that God has given the ability to actually come alongside another who is struggling with this and can point them towards answers and towards hope. Um, I want our listeners to know that in the in the show notes, we'll have uh, all of your resources. We'll also have the 
the suicide um, prevention hotline number, but we'll just give that number out now for someone because I heard you say, get help. Everybody take your phone out. It's 1-800-273-TALK or 8255 and, and put it there. If not for yourself, this is going to come up sometime with a friend or a family member and having it there means that you're not scared of the subject, that yes. you are there to help. 1-800-273-TALK. We'll give that to you again at the end. But specifically now about the book, you, you're, you're mentioning the book. Um, it's Who is it written for? So you, you obviously were led to write the book. Who's this book for? It's really for the church. It's to empower the church to to really go and be a force for life. And, you know, just God is in the life business. Life is sacred to God. Um, and it, and as his as his hands and feet here, uh, the church not only has an obligation, but has this tremendous opportunity uh, to share hope, to share life. Greg, can I read something out of one of the proverbs about that applies here? Please, please. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think of the proverbs as talking about suicide. I'm I'm. So curious to hear what you're about to read us. This is Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, I'm sorry, this is a King James Version, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou say, Behold, we knew it not, does not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth the soul does he not know it? In other words, God knows this. And shall he not render to every man according to his works? There's a warning to, to this proverb, but there's also an implied blessing that when the church becomes involved in this, you're going to see lives saved. And not just in this realm, I, I'm talking about lives saved eternally as well. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 such a powerfully um, encouraging thought, and I mean encouraging in the literal definition of the word. It can give us courage, by God's grace, to enter into these conversations, not only about suicide, but um, depression in general, anxiety, the bullying that our uh, younger generation in particular is experiencing in social media platforms we're being called into these gaps because if we're not there who who are they turning to and so i'm i'm encouraged by the fact that you're saying this is a specific way to enter into some of these conversations what do you say to people who are are, are going okay so i what are what are the practical tools how do i enter into this I don't have a PhD. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm I'm not a former ER physician, Doctor Sleet. I how do I enter into this? Because I would imagine that too. You hear that people are like, I'm I'm not qualified. How do I how do I help? Great questions. I'm going to start with the most common fear or concern, and that is that you're going to make things worse. That by bringing up the topic, you're going to plant the idea in somebody's head. 
the first thing I have to reassure you that, that we were taught and it was just drilled into us in medical school is that asking if somebody is thinking of harming themselves lowers the rate of them doing that. Asking somebody if they're thinking about suicide lowers the incidence of it happening. Because just by asking that question, you've said, I care enough to ask this question. And incidentally, for for your listeners who are Christians and who are believers, I think there's another layer here that if they're thinking about suicide, there's a layer of guilt. You know, I believe in God, and and but why am I feeling so lousy? Let's say that again. There have been Christians that struggled with depression their entire lives. Charles Spurgeon had depression. If you read Mother Teresa's uh, journals, she struggled with depression. Henry Nouwen struggled with depression. C.S. Lewis struggled with depression. I, I want to assure people that if they're thinking about it, they're not alone. And, and it does not mean that God loves you any less or or that you can't get out of this this feeling that you're having. And by the way, I believe that all good things from God, and if that's medicine, that's medicine that helps. Um, if it's, it's prayer, good stuff comes from God. If we go back to, I want to address my friend, and he or she looks depressed, and I ask them, have they been thinking about suicide? I'm just going to walk you down the worst case scenario. Um, and they say, yes, I have been thinking about it. The thing to do then is say, wow, that's really serious. Not, oh, you shouldn't be thinking that, or you don't really mean that. And then you can ask, do you have a plan? Do you know what you would do? If somebody has been thinking about suicide, they have a plan and they have the means, meaning they say, yes, I've been thinking of ending my life by shooting myself. And they have a gun. You you have an emergency on your hand and you don't have to know any more than 911. The good news is that a vast majority of the people that get to that point and somebody dials 911 for them and they go to the hospital, they get over this. They get past that crisis moment. And so you don't have to have a plan for their whole future. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to care enough to ask and to direct them towards help if they need it. Again, though, that is just so important to hear that it really is it, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of love. If you are caring enough to say, are you having these thoughts? But then you enter into that with them rather than to be repelled by it. You enter into it and say, now let's move towards a solution. Even that in that moment, as the person who's listening, I, I think I'm hearing you say, don't you assume that you have to do this alone? Because we, we want to join, we want to join uh, up with lock arms with professionals who are then ready to enter into this and are are experienced and qualified to enter into this. So no one should assume that they have to face this alone. Absolutely. And if you you think about the the response to uh, somebody coming to church that has a new diagnosis of cancer, let's say, people are going to pray about that. They're going to, they're going to help with meals. They might help with rides to the doctor. We have a treated mental illness as a special case. Jesus makes, by the way, absolutely no distinction between mental and physical illness. Both 
are a result of the fallen state as as the Bible looks at that. Um, but but Jesus made no distinction. As a matter of fact, he went out of his way to help those who had mental illness. And so it's it's the peeling off of now I think we're getting into this idea of church leaders, maybe church, uh, maybe it is pastors, or just folks who are very involved in their church. It's there's how do we actively, practically peel off this this layer of shame that is there that is doing no one any good? How, what what are some practical steps we can take in our and maybe not even churches? Let's say schools. Let's say businesses. How can we peel off this layer of of shame that has caked up on on this topic and this 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 struggle? Uh, I think. Um, that we as Christians need to bring ourselves up to speed on what the Bible has to say about that. And that's one of the, okay. the things I've done in this book. Um, there, there are other books. Um, but in, incidentally, for, for your listeners, if I prefer people buy the book at, the, at, the, at Amazon or wherever they get books, but we, we say to people, if you don't, have money for a Bible or a book like this, you write our ministry and we'll send send it to you. That That's more important than anything. But bring yourself up to speed on what the Bible has to say, and then just sort of know the first aid basics. You know, have this, the, this uh, number for the National Suicide Hotline in your phone. Uh, identify the resources within your church, and have a prayer team maybe of, of, of people that can, that can pray and support people as they're going through uh, depression and and mental illness. So you don't have to have all the answers. When people came into the emergency department, most of them don't even know where your adrenal gland is. I'm not going to put you on the spot, Greg, but probably you don't know where your adrenal gland is. I think it's sitting on top of your kidneys. Is that right? That's or? correct. That's okay. correct. Right. You, you, you win the prize. <laughs> um, but the point being is that everybody has a PhD in attitude. Mm, they know whether you've okay. got an attitude that you care and you love. And that's what you lead with here. You may not do everything perfectly, but Jesus said they're going to know you're Christians because you love each yes, other. Yes. And so I think we have to um, uh, just uh, have a ministry of presence even, that we are, we'll be present with somebody with their going through these uh Hard times and and tough times. Get the get the basics down. Identify your resources so that if this comes up in a faith community, you know at least where to point somebody, as opposed to I don't know anything, and so I'm going to remain silence. Silence is construed as indifference if you're the person going through hard times. So we don't blink when something happens. We don't recoil. We enter into this and we keep walking with them towards uh, qualified help and solutions. We are going to be flesh and blood, tangible, that that kind of a presence in someone's life, uh, because it seems like that's an antidote to that lie of I, I'm alone in this. So if, if I'm present, you, when you say present, you mean literally present with someone. Correct. And I'll, I'll give an example. <clears throat> I was um, going to do a radio show in Louisville, which is 
the other big city in my st- uh, my state, uh-huh. and uh, there's two pastors who have um, the radio show. They we were going to be discussing suicide, and one of them said, "Hey, I've got somebody who's really gone through some hard times. He's lost two sons to this, and a son-in-law, and he has a gun and a plan to use it on himself. Would you mind if he sat in the studio with us?" This was not a Christian. He's not a believer. And I said, sure. And so the three of us had a discussion, just like you and I are having. At the end of that, um, we prayed for him. That was on a Thursday. On Sunday, I was sent a picture of him being baptized. We didn't have any magic, but he was there with three people who for a moment gave him hope. By the way, Hope Always is a book about how to, how to live. There are many, many books about why people end their life. I was interested in why people came right up to this precipice and maybe an even attempted suicide, and, and now decades later were living a full life. And so there's a lot of that wisdom that's in the, in the book, which focuses on how to get over this how to get to a a life where you want to get up in the morning. I'd love for us, towards the end of our conversation, I'd love for there to be some of those echoes of hope and encouragement from your own experiences that you've included in your books. What what do you want ringing in our ears, Dr. Sleep? One, One of the things that I would tell every parent, and by the way, um, there are more and more children taking their own lives. And that's so concerning to me. And so I think that we need to tell children that they are not just a mistake, that they're a glorious creation, and that they are loved, and they are loved by us, but they are loved by a Father in heaven. They're getting messages that are the opposite over and over again. And you got to say you're loved, and your Father in heaven loves you. I think the other thing is that we have to be careful what we put into our brains. If I go on something like Netflix or you know some streaming platform like that and just scroll across the offerings, I'm amazed how many pop up dystopian, violent, etc. We have to be conscious about what we're putting into ourselves. And um and and I think we have to start staring towards light and goodness. A line out of Philippians, it, it says, finally, uh, these are the things to think about. Whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if you can praise these things, this is what we have to begin filling our minds and our souls with. Even as you read that very familiar verse to me, it just stirs up a longing. This is what we were made for. The, we who bear the image of God, this is what we were made for. Those kinds of experiences in, in God's creation and to be intentional about pursuing them and focusing on them. <laughs> we need that. Dr. Sleeth, I, with, with everything we've talked about, um, do you have anything that you would say to those who have been a victim of of this horror and 
So this is a family member, this is a close friend who has taken their own life, and now they are living in the aftermath of this. Um, can you speak to hope for them? Uh, first of all, if you've if you've lost a family member uh, to suicide, I don't need to tell you how painful it is. It's painful. There's always guilt and the questions. Um, I would say that the thing that I have observed that makes people the most whole who've been in that situation is is to go out and try to become part of the solution and and to share your experience, um, but to begin to be part of this conversation about life and the beauty of it and the sacredness. Is there one last thought that you want to give us with regard to this hope and this being a force for life in this day and age in which we live? One closing last thought. When you're talking to somebody, whether they believe in God or not, the one thing that they will let you do is tell your story. And I think those of us who have had the Lord pick us up out of a pit need to share that with people. And um, it's happened in my whole family. And that's your most powerful tool is by talking about what the Lord has done, done for you when you're talking to somebody who's in a tough place. We have no hardware, we have no trophy to give, but we have this Way to Go Award that we ask people about. And if if you wanted to give a shout out to a person, an organization, an artist, someone who's just doing great things in this world, who would you nominate for a Way to Go Award? Oh, wow. I mean, first, my wife, because she loves me every day and (laughs) you know, Way to Go. So, so besides your wife, is there anyone else that you might uh, nominate? You know, somebody who's on my mind because in, I think, uh, 26 days, I'm going to get to see them as my son and his family. Uh, my son is a one-man baby-saving machine. He uh, is pediatrician who runs all the pediatric departments at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. And uh, Tinwick has a a sign that we we treat uh, Jesus heals on the front of the hospital. And he has an 85-bed NICU there. And he's often the only pediatrician. And so he's just given so much of his life to uh, save children and to preach the gospel. And just his wife and his three children, we're just so excited that we're going to see them. I'm sorry I don't have anybody further. I don't think uh, you need to. He, uh, great, great nomination. Thank you for yeah. that. Um, who's one person that has made a lasting impact on your life? I was very, very fortunate in in that when I first became a Christian, I was introduced to a man named John Spicer, who was a family doctor. And I got to see somebody act out Christianity every day and in in every aspect of his life. There is nothing that he lays his hand on that isn't a tool for sharing the gospel and loving other people. Okay, so even after after you mentioned to us um, the verse from Philippians, I'm, I'm curious what your answer will be on this. What's one thing you're loving these days that we should check out? 
This could be music. This could be a book. This could be a series or a film. What's one thing that you're these days you're going, oh boy, you need to know about this. It, it has to be the Sabbath. I, I wrote a book about the Sabbath, which over the last decade has been the best-selling book about the Sabbath. And I wrote it when I had been taking the Sabbath for 10 years. Now it's been 20 years. I would rather lose both of my legs than the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is not a condition of getting into heaven in my theology. It just happens to be the condition that heaven is in if you get there. And, um, and, and no matter how bad the week, I am only six days away from, from this beautiful, beautiful time, uh, with the Lord. Um, what's one lesson you wish you could have learned sooner? Oh, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd known the Lord. Um, you know, I, I will always have the regret that the majority of my life I was not able to serve him. But here's a here's a great deal. I get paid the same penny as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. What's what's one trait as a you had as a kid growing up that you still have today? The ability to to go it on my own if I have to. Um, meaning that there's things that I have believed that have come from Scripture, and at times it seemed like nobody else did. But if they're in Scripture. That's okay. I can go it on my own. I think I had that trait as a child as well. Last question, and I I can't think of a better person to ask. Um, but what's one way that you're moving into this next year with hope? I have the hope of. I, I think it comes from the younger people that I get to hang out with. You know, it's no longer cool to be a Christian. They they have their their faith because they have their faith and and that just gives me great hope it it's they're not in it because they're going to sell more insurance or anything like that they're in it because they love jesus and that is a very hopeful thing yes 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 well thank you for this time thank you for walking us through this topic and this conversation with such grace and um i appreciate your heart and i appreciate your work and thank you for this book. And uh, one more time, we will have all of the details of resources in the show notes. But Dr. Sleeth, for myself and all of our listeners, just thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for listening to a Godzillion and One podcast. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, Stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.